Over the last two years, Canada has seen the most unbelievable deterioration of freedom. We thought in the beginning, oh, it was two weeks to flatten the curve, but it has turned into a virtual tyranny with Canadians suffering the loss of all sorts of freedoms, freedom to associate, freedom to move, freedom to religious worship. It is unbelievable what's been happening. What about our Charter of Rights and Freedoms? This protection which Canadians, all Canadians are supposed to have. Well, I'm going to tell you what about that. We have with us one of the drafters of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, Brian Peckford. He is the former Premier of Newfoundland. We are so privileged to have him. You're going to want to stay tuned to this and listen to this foremost voice on the loss of freedoms and rights in our country. Stay tuned. Let's begin, as we always do, with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Mr. Peckford, welcome to the John Henry Weston Show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It is an unbelievable time. You've been out speaking on the speaking circuit, as it were, as many of these rallies take place. Hundreds of thousands of Canadians out in really a joyful mood right now because they feel this great sense of, uh, well, I guess catharsis in some ways because the truckers are there and they're finally fighting for freedom. It's a a beautiful thing. You've been at quite a few of these rallies. I think you're one of the featured speakers um, in, in a big way because of your background. Tell us, if you would, your central message to people right now. As we speak, our democracy is in decline, is in grave danger, of become, that becoming a permanent condition. And that is because all 14 governments of Canada, the 10 provinces, the three territories, and the federal government have all enacted measures which violate the provisions of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, especially uh, provisions number two, which is freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of conscience, freedom of expression, freedom of press, uh, freedom of assembly, freedom of of association. These are are all very sacred uh, freedoms that our own have only been in in writing for less than 41 years. We're now in our 41st year of the Charter. In the United States, they've had a Bill of Rights since 1791, 231 years ago. So this whole uh, notion of our written Charter of Rights and Freedoms for individuals is rather new to us. And this is why over the last two years it's taken a while to galvanize Canadians to understanding what really is at stake. Section six of the uh, charter talks about mobility rights, the right of you and me and any Canadian to go anywhere in Canada and to leave Canada. It's quite clear. Nobody can mistake the meaning of that sentence. And then we have section seven of the charter, which says the right to life, liberty, and the security of the person. Once again, pretty important words and pretty hard to misinterpret. Pretty hard to misinterpret. You have the right to life. You have the right to the security of the person. You have the right to liberty. Okay. And security of the person in this particular case is extremely important because what that means is, is that you cannot be coerced into taking something to your person that you don't agree with. 
you have security of the person. You're in control of your body. That's what security of the person means, or it means nothing if it doesn't mean that. And then a fourth section of the charter, section 15, which talks about you and I and all Canadians have the right to equality before the law. Well, as I sit here with you this morning, there are certain places in my little city that I live in where I cannot go, where other Canadians can go. And that's blatant, uh, uh, you know, equality of your person is not being uh, honored here because I am being discriminated against and don't have the same equality as another Canadian. These are pretty precious rights. And what people fail to understand up until now, I think, that these rights, these freedoms and these rights were not put in a federal act. They weren't put in a provincial act. This is the difference. A constitution is a glorious document, which is the glue that keeps the country together. It's a national document, not a federal document, not a provincial document. It is a national document for all of Canada. If the federal government passes a law tomorrow, most often it will only apply to places that the federal government has control over. Provincial government the same way. And so therefore it doesn't apply to all Canadians. For example, the Bill of Rights that people talk about of 1960 that Prime Minister John Diefenbaker brought in. The first time, by the way, that in writing, Canadians had uh, an acknowledgement that individual rights and freedoms were important, but it only applied to federal jurisdiction. It didn't apply to provincial jurisdiction. And besides which, it was only in the federal parliament, which could be changed very easily. So we thought 41 years ago that by putting it in the constitution of our country, it would be away from easy change by capricious governments and political parties who got a majority in the, in the House of Commons could change it easily. By putting it in the Constitution, it gave it a magic, it gave it a sacredness, it gave it a permanence. Uh, Chief Justice, Justice Bork of the United States, when he was Minister and Solicitor General of the United States, he wrote a book in which he talked about the Constitution, and he talked about a Constitution possessing permanent values. Just about every other scholar anywhere in the world where there's a Western democracy, they talk about constitutions. That's what a constitution is. It has permanence and sustainability, right? But what's happened in Canada is, is that governments have look, been looking upon the constitution as just another federal act or another provincial act that they can so easily change. They really haven't addressed the fundamentals of what a constitution is. Remember, we had the BNA Act which formed us in 1867. And outside of some amendments, there was no big change to the Constitution until we did it. All of the other first ministers passed away, unfortunately, in 1981-82. That was the next big change. And so we lived under British common law and unwritten law for a long period of time. But we understood in 81-82 what we were doing. And there had been a movement underfoot since Stephen Baker's Bill of Rights to get that to apply to all Canadians. And that's why we did what we did in 1981-82. This is why it's so important, this context, to give this context. It wasn't done in isolation. It wasn't done in, a, in the heat of the moment. 17 months of negotiation this took before we got the Charter the Rights and Freedoms. And in between there, the Prime Minister of the day left the table and tried to do it unilaterally and lost in court and had to come back to the table. 
People forget that. He lost in court. His Charter of Rights and Freedoms and his patriation agreement went up in flames. It was when he sat down again with the premiers and nine premiers and the prime minister signed the Constitution Act of 1982 in which the Charter of Rights and Freedoms is found. So, uh, you know, that's the other point. Uh, You asked me what's really important uh, in the message, and it is that the Charter provisions are being violated. But here's another part of the Charter that's being violated. And this one is most egregious and the most least talked about, even by the judges so far who have ruled on the Charter in relation to these pandemic measures, two judges. And here's what they haven't even acknowledged. The first words of the Charter are not Section 1. The first words of the Charter are, whereas this nation is founded on the supremacy of God and the rule of law. And after it is a colon, the grammatical right notation colon, not a period. In other words, everything flows after this. And so the Charter is supposed to be considered in the context of what? The supremacy of God and the rule of law. You know what? You find no mention of that in the, some of the judges' decisions that have been made to date, which is a complete abdication of their responsibilities to when they begin to do their dissertation on their decision, they put it into the context of what the Constitution actually says. What are the principles that are supposed to guide this document? And uh, I'm going to be speaking more and more about that over the next while, because even when the mandates are lifted, you understand. That doesn't change that the charter was was broken. Mm -hmm. That doesn't change that the charter was broken. And we have the biggest job we got after the mandates are over is to see that the charter is restored. And I'm doing that through a lawsuit uh, against the federal government under mobility rights. And other Canadians are doing it as well. And so we've got to restore the charter. Otherwise, when these mandates are off, we have lost a big chunk of our democracy. Very interesting that you mentioned this because, I mean, you're you're so right in that if this just, okay, they lift the mandates now and everybody forgets it, we can go on and on. We've lost a lot of freedom. One of the things people have talked about is the need to t- make people um, br- basically bring justice to this situation because otherwise the same thing can be done in who knows how little time from now because there was no justice. There was no correction of anybody who went through these steps and took away our freedoms. There has to be some kind of accounting for that abuse of the charter. If we don't correct it now, it will be easier next time because they'll use this as a precedent. And judges and our, our jurisprudence, our justice system in the Western world does look to precedents. So if two years from now, a government declares an emergency, right? Anywhere in Canada, any of the governments or all of them, like they've done this time, uh, and of course, that's a dubious uh, thing. In the, in the well, you know, what are the conditions that um, establish an emergency to the to the point where you can take people's freedoms away? Mm-hmm. You know, right to the point where you can take people's freedoms away. Well, if this is not corrected now, and uh, as I say, a government declares an emergency, they will defend their decisions under that emergency and violate the provisions of the charter and refer back to the precedent. They won't even have to get back to the charter. And so therefore, and a judge adjudicating on this will use this precedent 
is one reason why the governments are okay in doing what they did. So this is a very, very slippery slope we're on right now. And unless we correct, that's why I took the, the legal action myself. I was talking a lot, and most people would say, okay, you talked a lot. What about walking the walk? Okay, I've walked the walk. Yeah. Uh, my name is on a legal suit against the government of Canada. So, and I thought that was very important being the last, you know, living first minister who helped craft the charter to do that. This is a fundamental time in our history, because if we do not correct the situation, it will be easier the next time to play and fiddle with our freedoms, and they will be no more. They're at the whim of any government that comes along. It does very much seem like it's a divine appointment for you, um, and, and a message to everybody else. This is not the end of our fights when the mandates are lifted. It's the beginning, and we need to keep pushing. One of the things that's really stunning I think to to everybody who's watching what's going on and and you have a real insight in this as well, apart from being one of the drafters and, and passers of the of the charter, you were a premier and that's why you were doing that, of course. But as a premier, we're watching right now the premiers, all of them, no matter their so-called political stripe, all engage in this same thing. It's been stunning to see. And it, it, it's getting even worse. The the talk about the closing of interprovincial borders to only those who are vaccinated has is actually being seriously considered by the... It's so baffling. But I thought just from your experience as a premier, what, what do you make of that? When I put it in the context of what's happened in the last two weeks, two years... They've gotten away with all of this. And so I think they feel fairly comfortable that they can move even further. I mean, this is a great. And so thank God for the truckers convoy because they have highlighted it to all the nation and brought, brought the charter to bear on what's going on. They are arguing that their charter rights are being violated. Every public meeting I have, by the way, there's an absolute hunger for understanding the charter. They now know we have a charter. They know it's a young charter. Uh, they know it's extremely important for them and for their children. I've had families turn up. Last week at a public meeting just outside of Campbell River, I had uh, mothers with their three children, like nine and six and five years old, who sat on the floor because the place was blocked, who sat on the floor for two hours and listened to what I had to say. And their mother told me afterwards they had been teaching their children about the charter rights and that these are freedoms that you will have when you grow up, right? When you're, that you, that are very important for your life, for your future and for your family, if you have a family when you grow up. And the little boy, like was about nine years old, his mother asked if I could take a picture, take a picture of me and my wife with the children. And I said, sure. So they, they got around me and my, the boy was on my right side. I, I won't forget this. I'll never forget this. As the mother was getting ready with the camera. I looked down at him and he looked up at me. This is after two and a half hours. And I said, thank you, young man, for uh, being such, you know, so well behaved after two, two, two and a half hours. And he looked up at me. He said, no, sir. No, no, no. He said, thank you for explaining to us how important this is. Imagine. So that'll just give you an idea that there are families out there, mothers and fathers, uncles and aunts and grandmothers and grandfathers and so on, who have seized 
and now understand. Some of them did not three months ago, four months ago, but they have listened to some of my interviews, like what I'm doing with you now. And uh, when I say, it seems to me one of the things, when I say we don't all, you know, groups are very important, organizations are very important, but it should never cloud the importance of the individual. And very often when I say, you know, there are no two snowflakes alike, there are no two individuals alike. We are all unique. We are all individuals. And that's what makes a country great is because we have individuals. And it's through individuality that we get creativity, right? that we get innovation. Right? It, that, that's what makes that work, that people feel that they can pursue their own goals and be protected by their constitution. And so I think there's a, a better understanding now, at least amongst the people that you know, I'm happy to give my point of view on, that during and after these meetings, and even when I start, uh, there's an electricity in the room. Uh, they're just please, and I say to them, I, you know, this might take me 30 or 40 minutes, and then you can ask any question you want, any comment you want, and I won't leave until everybody has had their questions and comments heard, okay? So if you think I'm going to take up some of your time, no, 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 no. That's why you're an individual. That's why I'm, I'm here. And, I, and they said, sir, take as long as you like. We want to listen. We want to hear. That's amazing because, you know, I've been at many political rallies and I've, been, I've given hundreds and hundreds of speeches all over the world. I've given speeches uh, to the House of Lords in, in England. I've, I've given speeches down in the United Nations to committees there. I've given speeches to the Washington Press Club. I've given speeches in Norway and Iceland and Germany and Rome and all over the world. One of the big questions, I think, for uh, a segment of Canadians that uh, consider themselves pro-life, they call themselves, and and we're very proud to be Canadians and and pro-life. The charter was made in 1983, and by 83, we already had abortion legislation in Canada. It was before 88 when, when the abortion laws were struck down, but... We've always wondered, how does that work in the charter that the individual rights of the child in the womb are denied, and yet we come up with a charter of rights and freedoms at the same time? And so that's always been a, a great confusion. How does that work together and fit together uh, in, in, a, in a society that has a charter of rights and freedoms that looks to individual rights? It doesn't work very well together. It's one of the uh, unbelievable uh, responsibilities that a jurist has. Uh, we, we recognize early on is that the fathers of of, uh, of America in the founding of their constitution, which is usually recognized by most scholars looking at constitutions in a Western democracy as perhaps, uh, for want of a better word, better than the others, as, as being quite close to what you're going to get. But even there, there is room for interpretation. You can't write everything into a constitution. That's the whole nature of a constitution. It's, it's, it's a document of principles, which then are interpreted by the judiciary. And that's one of the uh, strengths and weaknesses at the same time of what you just described, is because you have that dichotomy, if you will, you're, or you have that uh, friction between, on the one hand, right, security of the person, life and liberty, and then you have, on the other hand, abortion 
legislation. One of the things that's happened in our democracy over the years, and the Americans were aware of it long before us because we didn't have the charter, is that there grew up, and this is very important for people to understand, in law schools, uh, and then they became judges later, this notion of the living tree of jurisprudence, the living tree of interpreting the Constitution. In other words, the Constitution is subject to change by the judiciary without the people being involved. A very uh, vocal opposition to that is, for example, Senator Ted Cruz in the United States, mm-hmm. who is a constitutional scholar in his own right and has appeared before as a lawyer. In Canada, we have gone more on the living tree side of things mm. than they have in the United States. Mm. And uh, that's one of our problems. Beverly McLaughlin, for example, the Chief Justice of a number of years ago, was a very strong proponent of this living tree doc- doctrine. And she's did a lot to perpetrate it amongst the other judges, but just not her alone. There are many judges who were the same way. And so if people like me who are originalists, sure, change the Constitution. There is a formula for changing the Constitution. Use it. Don't do it through the courts. Mm-hmm. The courts are there to interpret, not to make law. And where the bridge has been crossed is they've moved from interpretation to, to the interpretation is such that it's really making new law. Yeah. And they have crossed the Rubicon on that. And it's going to take a lot of people who view the Constitution like you and I to bring back that originalist document. And we're not saying in saying that that the Constitution can't be changed. Just do it legitimately through the people. Because we thought that's what democracy was all about. It must be the people to change it, not the judges, not the unelected judges. And that's where the rub comes in today on the question that you raise. They often talk a lot about judicial activism in the United States, but it appears we have it worse in Canada. As we close up here, I wanted your perspective as as really the last surviving, uh, you know, drafter of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms of, of the Constitution, the eighty three. Um, what's your take on Canada right now? This has been a stunning two years for everybody, but for you, as someone who's been around not only just been around living, but been around working in the sphere, right in the heart of things, being a premier, being one of the drafters, watching all this go through. What is what has this been like for you? Where do you think Canada's at? And where do you see us going? Obviously, because I've become so active on this file now over the last two years, I'm deeply concerned and very disturbed by the direction of our country. I was disturbed before this even. I've written extensively about it over six years now. I've had my own blog and I've been writing about uh, Canada's economic position, Canada's productivity position, uh, Canada's signing of international agreements, uh, whereby uh, very, very, uh, shall I say subtly, some of our sovereignty has been eroded to some international tribunal or international organization under a trade agreement. And I think this is wrong. And so on a number of fronts, uh, we are uh, reducing our sovereignty as a nation at the same time as we are reducing our democracy as a nation, okay? The democracy is the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Uh, on the other, the sovereignty is where we're no longer an independent nation state in, in the full meaning of that word. We have 
allowed some of her sovereignty to go to international organizations. If this continues, then the the idea that Mr. Trudeau has and his deputy minister, uh, deputy prime minister, and others like the prime minister of New Zealand, the president of France, Mr. Macron, they all went to the World Economic School of Leaders. And uh, the World Economic School of Leaders means really what they're teaching there is that we need a world government, that we need to bring all the countries together, dilute their sovereignty, and have a more international sort of United Nations government for the world, which will be dominated and organized by a lot of unelected people. Well, Mr. Peckford, God willing, your suit is successful because that really is uh, our future in a way in Canada. depends on it. It uh, depends on holding to account those who have stripped us of our freedoms unjustly and uh, gone against the charter in doing so. God bless you and thank you for joining us today. God bless you and I'm on my way to Ottawa tomorrow to speak to the truckers. Amazing. Amazing. And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time on the John Henry Weston Show. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to lifesitenews.com because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe, and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parler, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. I'm John Henry Weston co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News.